Uh, Lord, our hearts go out to those that have been affected by uh, this, um, I don't know if the pandemic yet, but it's something that everybody, uh, most people's minds, Lord, our hearts go out to those in China, uh, in South Korea, Lord, I know they've been impacted, Italy especially, really globally, obviously, and here in the United States as well. Uh, Lord, uh, it feels like one of the writers uh, in Revelation, which seems like a disease, Lord, we, uh, we don't want to... We don't want to overstate what it is, but we don't want to understate it either. It's obviously had a great impact on, uh, on the world and a lot of people's lives. And Lord, we just pray that you would uh, intervene, pray that you would protect our family, both here and remotely, as we uh, try to navigate the waters of what this means for us and our lives. And Lord, we're grateful for that, and we're grateful for your provision. And we're grateful also that we don't have to have any fear of death whatsoever, zero. Uh, it is as part of the inheritance of the children, and for that we are deeply grateful. And Lord, I also um, pray that you'd be with us this morning. I pray that you would give us guidance, continue to instruct us in this journey that uh, we are on. And I pray, Lord, if there are some folks here that haven't begun that journey or from their perspective haven't begun that journey, uh, Lord, that they would uh, be compelled to begin that journey with you. And it happens uh, in, a, in a moment Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Be with us this morning, and we thank you. We glorify you. We worship you. We honor you. We make you the centerpiece of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, I left you last week, and by the way, I will say that many of you have come to me and said this, this teaching, though kind of arduous and detailed and, and long, has been so helpful for you, and those are encouraging words. I know a lot of times that it's easy to want to try to encapsulate something to a 20,000-foot view and kind of do it quickly and efficiently, and, and I'm not suggesting that I'm always efficient, but it just feels like at 20,000 feet, you don't get the details that you need, the instruction that you need if you are on this journey with God. And I think, in fact, if you... From my perspective, I'm skipping mass things. From your perspective, I'm going arduously slow. Probably some of you feel that at some time, uh, but I'm not. I, I really do. I, there's so much more detail that could be uh, borne out as we go through this. But last week, I left you on the plains of Jericho. And uh, we, were, we have crossed now in terms of our journey, in terms of understanding this Exodus template. And I want to hark back to the spies uh, that were sent out this morning briefly uh, before their wilderness experience and also see what happens with the spies that were now sent out in the new experience. So I'm going to take you to Joshua chapter 2, verse 23. Pretty fascinating stuff. Pretty fascinating stuff. We realize that battles stand in the way of our inheritance. When we walk into the fullness of our spiritual inheritance, we have to recognize that battles are in front of us. And I don't shy away from that because the Bible doesn't shy away from that language. Uh, I don't want to overstate it and I don't want to understate it. But I think we tend to live in the, a Western culture that doesn't see our Christian walk really as a battle enough. And so maybe I'm imbalanced in some ways where I'm talking a little bit about the spiritual battle. But I think we have a tendency to come to the Word and say, just give me some principles that will help me in my life. And we don't really understand the fullness of our calling and the fullness of the journey, what a journey with Jesus really looks like. And so if you'll go to Joshua chapter 2, verse 23, I'm going to look at two verses here to start. This is them now sending out 
spies. It says, then two men returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they related to him all that had happened to them because they had sent them out to spy out this new land. Remember, 40 years early, they had sent some spies. Two came back with a positive report, 10 with negative reports. And they said to Joshua, Catch the, catch the difference. This is what the wilderness will do to you in your soul. Surely the Lord has given us the land and put it into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. See, this is what the wilderness work does in your own mind. You go in recognizing that the enemy is defeated and that they are melting away before you. When you first come out of Egypt, you're not so sure that that's the case. And oftentimes you can say, this looks bleak, we're terrified, Uh, I don't know how this is going to go, what's going to happen to me. There are trust issues, there are all kinds of things that are going on pre-wilderness. After you go through the wilderness, what has happened is you have a demonstrably different view of life in general. You realize that Jesus actually uh, exists, that he's resurrected, and that he engages you in your life in fact, he's already defeated the enemy even before you go in and cross the Jordan. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And there is no way to have this deeply embedded in your DNA than to walk through the wilderness. All of us are called to walk through the wilderness after our baptism. Now, pre-wilderness, and I'm not going to take you there, but in, if you want to take this down in your notes, Numbers chapter 13 gave us a picture And here was there, rather than, oh, they've melted away before us, the land is ours, we've got it, here was their pre-wilderness, some of the characteristics that define them pre-wilderness. The land is good, but the people are so strong. They've not melted away before us, uh, we're little guys, they're huge people. Uh, The cities, they're fortified. Now, you got to realize, the cities are still fortified. We're on the plains of Jericho. They're looking out and seeing Jericho, and they are a well-fortified city. It's a city. The, the gates were locked, and everything was barred, and uh, there was no way to penetrate the walls of Jericho. In fact, we would probably die out there just waiting for them to... They can wait us out. But see, they didn't see it that way. The cities are large. That isn't enough. Giants live there. Oh, and by the way, there are Amalekites and Negev and Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites in the hill country and the Canaanites by the sea and the Jordan. All they could see, all they could see were these massive Jericho-type situations in front of them. There's no way. How can we take this? Look at all the enemies. They're everywhere. They're down in the Negev, which is way down. And then finally, we're not able. The land devours its inhabitants. Uh, There's no way we can do this. And finally, we are like grasshoppers, both in our own eyes and in the eyes of those who are looking at us. When we walk, you want to talk about inferiority complex. I mean, we, we're nobody. There's no way. We, we, they had trust issues. Every, and now notice, 40 years later, we can take them. We've got them, right? They're already defeated. They're, they're in fear of us. They're melting away. In fact, when Jesus would come, some 1,500 years later, when Jesus would come, demons would shriek, you know, what do you have to do with the Son of God? I mean, you know, they were terrified of him. Jesus lives in you. 
Sometimes it, it can be overwhelming your Jerichos in your life. Now, we're going to take a little broader application here. And even if you're not even understanding this in its fullness or you're in the wilderness, there are applications for a Jericho mentality that we can get and understand how God deals with his people. And that's important, too. So uh, the question is, do you see yourself as a grasshopper or do you see yourself as a warrior? Are you a warrior that's well-equipped, has, has gone through your wilderness experience and have the shield of faith and, you know, the helmet of salvation? Are you firmly convinced or do you, are you in and out of that? Look, you cannot cross. You should not be on the other side if you still don't see yourself as someone that's saved by Jesus. If you still have the imagination that somehow you're saving yourself, somehow it's not solid what Jesus did for you on the cross, you could do nothing to add to it, nothing in terms of your salvation. Nothing. Do you have, are you sh feet shod with the preparation of the gospel? Are you, do you make it the central part of your life to expand the kingdom and make him, make him famous in the earth? Is that your central focus on your life? These are all, again, characteristics of the crossers. And so let's go back to the story. Now, this is very interesting because now they uh, send these spies and they have an interaction with someone named Rahab. And this is very powerful for us to see because what we're going to see is we're going to continue to see this, this note that is sounded over and over and over, and it's the thread of the blood. It's the scarlet thread, if you will. It's powerful. And again, it's a hidden thing for us to understand as we see this. God is speaking loudly from the heavens, and these things are what matter. And we're going to look at those two things again this morning, water and the blood, water and the blood, water and the blood. Over and over and over, God is telling his story through the nation of Israel, and it's applicable to us in the 21st century. Joshua chapter 2, if we would have backed up a little bit, we would have seen what had happened with the spies when they went into the land. How did they get some of that information? Uh, well, they came back with a great report, and here's what it was, verse 8. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, now this is Rahab, and who is Rahab? Rahab, all we really have about her is that she was living in Jericho, and she was a harlot. And she stopped for a minute. Some of the great heroes of the faith, which is awesome. They're not all just kings or righteous people. Some that we'll see chronicled in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Some are even harlots. That gives me great hope. If this was being written in a modern day sense, it could, be, it could, it could have been me, you know, and a golf pro, right? I mean, it, I mean, it gives hope. You don't have to be of pedigree. You don't have to have certain parents. You don't have to live in a certain socioeconomic kind of uh, place in your world. And, and that demographic, you don't have to have any of that. This was a woman, as we'll see, and that time meant something. And again, just like the woman at the well in John 4 that Jesus would encounter, uh, she was a harlot and she was one of the enemy, part of the enemy camp. It's just like God to read. that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Okay, so think of this in terms of the demonic forces, uh, for, in terms of our analog. They know when you go through your baptism. They know when that moment happens when you decide to leave the world, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. 
the, the heavenly forces of wickedness, uh, and they know exactly when that moment happens, and they begin to shudder. Now, they know that you're untrained. They know that you haven't walked in this unseen realm, and they know they have maybe in some senses from their view an advantage in the early stages of your walk, and that maybe these seeds will be planted, and then somehow they'll, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches may pull you away from fruitfulness, but I will tell you their hearts melt when they see you come out of Egypt. And then they also said, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sion and Og, who you utterly destroyed, they know about some of your early battles, maybe an addiction or something. Some of your battles in the wilderness, some of you are going through those right now. You're beginning to get the mind of Christ. And let me just tell you, the enemy knows that. They're watching. They know what you're going through. And they know when they succeed and they know when you fail, but they also have this deep sense in which you are beginning to gain ground in your spiritual journey. They watch what's happening. These little battles that you're encountering are visible to the heavenly realm. And we see that over and over in Scripture. This isn't something unique. I mean, people, you know, all of a sudden, if you remember, uh, fast forward a little bit from this during the prophets and Elisha and with his uh, Gehazi, and they pull back uh, this whole picture and they, like they unzip from the seen realm to the unseen realm and see all these angels and this massive battle going on. Uh, they see that stuff and they see when you're winning the battles. They see when you're losing the battles and they celebrate, but they also see when you're beginning to get it when you're beginning to become a different person. And that happens again in the wilderness. It says, When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in us any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. By the way, the enemies know exactly who God is, and they know exactly who Jesus is. And if he is in you, they know exactly who he is. Remember the story we talked about a few weeks ago about the Sceva and his seven sons. We know who Paul is, but who are you? In other words, they knew who Paul was because Jesus lived powerfully in Paul. It says, Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with my father's household. Now catch this, and give me a pledge of truth. Okay, so she's asking for something. Uh, I, I want to switch to your side. I want to go to your side. This is not about, again, metaphor breaks down a little bit here. This is not about uh, spiritual forces of wickedness being able to change. We have no indication in Scripture that angels have the opportunity to repent and change uh, and come over to the right side. But it's clearly a, when we go in and in, this, in our inheritance and we begin to see people who need Christ, I, I can tell you that they're going to say, uh, I, you know, don't wipe us out. We want a pledge of truth. Give us this pledge, and they're going to do exactly that. Spare my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our life for yours, if, we do, if you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land, that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Well, what is that pledge? What, what was the sign here? Well, Verse 15 says, and she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall that she was living on the wall. And she said to them, go to the hill country so that the pursuers will not happen upon you and hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Then afterwards you may go your way. And the men said to her, we shall be free from this oath. So they're making an oath with her. You are going to be, let's use the language that happened in the first 
crossing, you are going to be passed over. You will be passed over when we come in and annihilate Jericho. You will be passed over. Here it is. Are you ready? We will be free from this oath which you've made unless when we come into the land, you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window. Now, why? Why, why would it be a scarlet thread? Why? What, what would be the purpose? What would be the purpose? What a strange thing. To, a, a, something that would be a, some place of demarcation that would denote to those who were entering the city, don't touch this woman and her family because, again, there's a scarlet thread indicating clearly, there's no question about it, indicating clearly, again, blood covering her house, just like it was in Egypt. You know, take that unblemished lamb, bring him into the house, examine him, Exodus 12, put the blood over the doorpost and you will be passed over. Again, now we have blood at Rahab's house and they will be passed over in terms of judgment. It's powerful. And said, and said, do it on the window through which you will let us down and gather yourself into your house, your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. And it shall come about that anyone who goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. You have to be covered by the blood, the scarlet thread here as a picture. And we shall be free. But anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. If a hand is laid on him, but if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath. This is an oath with which we have, you've made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Again, what does a crosser understand? You advance through the blood. You advance through the blood. They are covered in the blood. That's why the first thing they did when they crossed was do what? We looked at it last week. They celebrated Passover. The blood leads in front of us, right? It's Jesus on that white horse in Revelation 19. Again, as I alluded to last week, his, his robe is dipped in blood. What does that mean? It's his own blood. It's not the blood of his enemies. It's his own blood. That's how he charges. He's the one leading us into battle individually. So when you have your personal Jerichos, whatever they may be this morning, whatever that may look like, Jesus is leading the charge. And there again... There again is the blood. See, people want to talk away from that. You can, some, there are certain churches you can go to, and, and they don't, they'll never really talk about the crucifixion or anything like that. It's just it's more about spiritual, biblical things that will help you in your life. And people flock to that. And yet Paul says, I choose to know nothing except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's at the central, it's the central story of our message. Whether or not you like it or not, is not the point. I didn't come up with it. It's the plan from the beginning. Jesus was slain before the foundations of the earth. We've alluded to that almost every single week. You know, we, we're now called Church at the Red Door. Now, why do you think that is? Well, it's right out of here. Church at the Red Door. I could have easily, we could have easily called this, and I wouldn't have done it, but Church of the Scarlet Window. It would have been just as appropriate, just as applicable, we could have called it uh, Coachella Calvary. We could have called it Church of the Lamb or Church of the Bronze Serpents or the Leper's House. Uh, who would want to go to the Leper's House? But you get the point. It's all a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross with his blood. How do you cleanse the house of a leper? You apply blood. 
right? I mean, it's just always the same, and it's seven times, and it's cleansing, and Jesus suffered and bled out seven times. You see it over and over and over through the Exodus template. It could not be more clear. God has been saying from the very beginning, this is the way of redemption. This is the path. It's through the blood. What is the sign? Well, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, you know it well. Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God's going to come down. That's going to be the sign. God's going to spill his own blood, if you can imagine, through his son. God's going to spill his blood, and that's the way, and that's the path, and that's unique. Well, I think all paths lead to God. I mean, everybody has a picture of spiritual truth. Not true. There's the golden thread that runs through all religions. Essentially, do unto others. I would say all, but most. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That kind of golden thread. There is a morality tale that runs throughout all religions. What's unique about this is that God sheds his own blood. Never forget it. It's not about being a good person. It's about being a redeemed person. A person who's been purchased back through a ransom. You say, well, that's offensive to me. I don't like all this blood talk. I just like the idea of just being a good person. Let me tell you again, it's God's plan from the beginning. Believe into Christ. Believe into Jesus. Believe into Jesus. What is the pledge? 2 Corinthians 1.22. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit or a pledge guaranteeing what is to come. Crossers have the pledge. They have the pledge. It's living. He, the person, the Holy Spirit is living on the inside of them. Living on the inside of them. So we're going to get into the conquest of Jericho, but it, it, it just struck me, and it was late last night, and poor Pete doing a great job up in the booth. I, he said, I, I kind of freaked me out. I got here this morning. I have all this supplement to this outline, and I, I just, I said, we have, I want you to see something. Before we go into Jericho, what's really important for you to know is that you're about, they were about to see wonders and I want to show you that with crossing, every time you cross to go in and be part of the saving of people, whether it be Moses or Joshua or Jesus or his disciples or even you, when there's crossing, you will see wonders. Let me say that again. You will see. Crossers get to see signs and wonders. I have people all the time, well, I've never seen anything. I, I, you know, this whole Christianity business, I've never really seen anything. Well, how would you see? How would you see into the unseen? You walk in the unseen, you will see wonders. But two things happen. Crossers are cleansed people. Crossers are clean people. They've become holy through the blood and through then them cleansing themselves, as we saw in 2 Timothy. You know, if a man cleanses himself of these things, he'll be useful to the master over and over. It's, a, it's, a, it's both. It's both us taking an active, participating role in becoming holy, and then it's also when we do that, we cross and we become part of the wonders that are going on. We, we get to see it firsthand. We get to be, uh, participate in it. It's extraordinary. Over and over, you see it in Scripture. And, and I said, I just, I felt compelled last night, so I added this little supplement. I want you to go to Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Trying to make a case for two things. 
Crossers are people who are and have become holy. They are increasingly every day being cleaned up with water. There's the water part. And when that happens, they see wonders. Joshua 3, 5, very clearly, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Let me say that again. Some of you need to see some wonders in your life. There's some Jerichos in your life and you need God to intervene. You need to see something wondrous. You need it. What's the precedent to that? Consecrate yourselves. And now in Hebrew, this word is kadash, and it means to be holy. It means to separate yourselves. It means to begin to pull away from the dirtiness and the filthiness of this life. Let me say that again. The way you think, how you, the way your mind works. I mean, how can you live in sin, the Bible says? How can you do that? And, and yet, no, you're a son or a daughter of God. You consistently continue to live in this. So as the sanctifying works happen, as you cross, crossers are clean. Perfectly clean? Of course not. None of us could be. Paul couldn't have said he's perfectly clean. None of us. But there is a decided moment at which you say, I choose to be holy. And you begin to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in you. And you're working alongside the Holy Spirit to put down, to to mortify the flesh every day. It's a challenge every single day, every day. But you're intentional about it. You're not just one saying, well, I got saved and I just, you know, uh, Lord forgives, he forgives me. He died for my sins. And then how can he who died to sins, the Bible says, still live in it? Consecrate yourselves. Kadash yourselves. Make yourselves holy. Be holy. Of course, the blood does the cleansing. Of course, the word does the cleansing, as, as we can see many places. Uh, if you'll think about it, in John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and they're talking about this. He said, the word that I have spoken to you, you're clean because of it. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. How do you cleanse yourself? Just doing what you're doing this morning. Just taking the word and just taking a spiritual shower right now and then saying, I'm going to participate in everything that I learn. Even when I'm kind of broken by the word, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to continue to allow myself to be clean. Why? Because I want to cross and I want to, I want to see wonders. Consecrate yourselves. Now, what's interesting about this to me is that the same thing happened with Moses. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 21, listen to what the Lord says to Moses. He says, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the what? The wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So Moses knew that he was going to go into Egypt. He was going to cross the Red Sea. He was going to go into a place to release captives right? The children of Israel. And in the process of doing that, people were going to see wonders. Not only the Egyptians were going to see wonders, but especially the Israelites were going to see wonders. They were going to have their, as Eugene Peterson says, their imagination cleansed from all the false gods that lived in, in Egypt. They were going to see, they were going to watch, they were going to be amazed and, and God even began to outline before Moses ever went into Egypt, these are the things you're going to do. In fact, one of those things I'm going to share with you, I have already, already have it in my heart. We're going to kind of culminate this thing uh, for Easter, our Easter message here, our Passover Easter slash message here. 
uh, in April, and I think it will blow you away when you see the fullness of God's plans. It's amazing. It's amazing. Exodus chapter 4, verse 11 says, The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes him mute, or deaf, or seen, or blind? Is it not I, said the Lord. Now there's a lot, but we could spend weeks on that. We've, I've alluded to it at various points when it talks about God's sovereignty. This is a linchpin. Who makes man blind and deaf? And now that was a function of the fall. True, but God's also participating, and sometimes he participates. Uh, the one man was born blind, and they were asking in the New Testament, did he sin or did his parents? And they said, well, no, this was, Jesus said this was done so that the glory of God might be revealed through his life. So God is sovereign. <clears throat> it's amazing. But see, what's interesting to me, it's like I'm going to go in and show wonders and I'm going to do it through these signs. And it's going to be powerful and very powerful. Now, I, I, I've been thinking about whether I was going to do this or not. And I'm right, right, I'm teetering on the edge here because it's such a strange story, such a strange story. It's just, it's just like two verses. But in that Exodus chapter 4, there's a very weird thing that happens. And I, there is no other description. I can't come up with a theological term better than just weird. I just can't. So they decide that now's the time. So he tells him to go back. And, and he, he gathers up his wife, Zipporah, and his kids and this and that. And, they, and, and Sarai as well. And uh, Not Sarai, that's Abraham. But I'm talking about Moses. And he gets Zipporah. And they, they go with their kids. And they, they're going back to Egypt. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, something really strange. In fact, it's not, on, it's not even on the outline. But I, Lord, help me navigate these waters. This, this is just so weird. It just is weird, but I'm going to give you my take on it. Exodus chapter 4. And uh, anyway, what happens is uh, in verse 24 of Exodus 4. Now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Moses. God sought to put him to death. There is a small number of theologians, the vast majority say, no, this is God seeking to put Moses to death. Some say they were seeking to put his son to death. But I think most theologians agree that this is actually referencing Moses. God sought to put Moses to death. And Zaborah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin. I'm sorry, I'm just reading the Bible. And threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. And he let him alone. And at that time... He said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. And that's it. That's all we get. It's just, I mean, it's just like, Lord, I need some commentary on this. Can't you explain this in some way? What a weird thing. I mean, this is Moses. I mean, this is a guy that's given up his whole life, I mean, to serve you. He, he left the comforts of, of being a, in the Pharaoh's court and lived in the wilderness. And now he's agreed to go back even though he stutters and he knows he can't do it. And now he's going back to Egypt at the risk of his own life. I mean, you know, talk about a guy laying down his life and then you just, Mr. Arbitrary God says, I'm just going to, I want to kill him out of nowhere. What kind of God do we serve? Here's the kind of God we serve, a God that wants to show through the life of Israel and through the life of Moses what and how you walk in an unseen realm. He cared. He was looking at us. Why would that be? Well, one of the things you find in Colossians is that baptism is a form of circumcision, not the removal of, of dirt from the body, but circumcised. We keep talking about this. We've talked about the circumcision of the heart. Evidently, what had happened is that Moses was going to take his son that was uh, by a Midianite wife 
and didn't have him circumcised, which was a sign. Okay, here we go. You ready? A sign of being part of the spiritual community of Israel. And he hadn't done it to his own son. He wasn't circumcised, evidently. So his wife, angrily, she, I'm sure she thought it was a grotesque act. Uh, how, how, how could this be important? Why, why would this be important? And evidently God was seeking to kill Moses. Why? Because he had not had his son circumcised. So she does it hastily. And I mean, I know it's graphic, but she takes the foreskin, throws it at his feet and says, you're, you're a bridegroom of blood. What possible thing could that mean for me in the 21st century? Is there anything that I can glean from this? Yes. Before you're going to see wonders, you have to be part of the spiritual community. And again, what do we have? We have blood, and we don't... This is a picture for us of the circumcision of the heart, right? Again, and I alluded to this before, there's blood involved. He needed to be covered, and he needed to have a circumcised heart. They're about to cross over, now in this case, not the Jordan, but into the Red Sea as a family. They're about to go in, and they're about to engage the Pharaoh, which was... a picture of Satan and they're about to go right into a battle, a fierce battle where wonders are show, shown and God just manifests himself in so many different unique ways and his own son wasn't circumcised and it meant so much to God that he sought to kill Moses. And even if it was, he sought to kill his son as a few, I think the minority of theologians would think, even if he sought just to kill his son, God was saying this is Incredibly important. Now, when we're talking, in un, that was a seen realm. When we're talking in the unseen realm, can you hope to see wonders in your Jericho if you're yet uncircumcised in your heart? If you don't have a new spirit within you and a new heart, as Ezekiel had prophesied, be very cautious. Otherwise, like the seven sons of that skiva, you may kind of get beat up and thrown outside. Well, we know who he is, but we don't see you covered in the blood. And then her very accusation of Moses was what? You're a bridegroom of blood. And it gives me, again, that picture of Revelation 19 where Jesus, again, is covered in blood. She, it's, a, it's God shouting from the rafters that this is radically important. You don't get in and around Christianity. You don't get in and around it and, and not have a circumcised heart. Be very careful. There are all kinds of people that come to church that don't have a circumcised heart. They may be here to do business. They may be here as a networking. It's like a rotary club to them. Uh, but they're not circumcised in heart. Be very cautious. You're entering the gates of a spiritual community. Now, if you're here exploring and wanting to know what Jesus is like and does God love me, you're so welcome here. I'm not concerned about that. But if you come with an uncircumcised heart and you have no, not even an inclination to reach out to God and you're just here to do business or something like, be very careful. Be very careful. It's the best I can, that's the best I can exposit that very strange part of Exodus chapter 4. My point being is that you've got to have a clean heart. And God does that through the Holy Spirit and through the new birth. That happens. And then what happens? You cross over and you see wonders. Again, you get the pattern. In, you had it in Moses. Now you have it in Joshua. Make yourselves holy. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow you will see wonders. Their Jericho is about to come down. And that's instructive for us. Now, was this the case with Jesus? Obviously it was. Obviously he made a claim to be God about himself. And then how so? 
Well, Isaiah 35, now this, remember what happens. You see this picture of, am I not the one who uh, makes the blind blind and the deaf and seen and all that? We, we got that picture. And then Jesus comes. There is a midlife crisis. Some of you have heard me teach on this in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, midlife crisis with John the Baptist. And, and they're like, well, he's not taking over Rome. Should we look for somebody else? And Jesus quotes Isaiah 35. Here's what he quotes. And again, this is important because they're seeing wonders. Jesus crosses over the Jordan and they begin to see wonders. And how do they know? Well, uh, because he's claiming to be God. How so? Isaiah 35, verse 4. Listen to what Jesus said. He didn't quote all of this, but this is what he's quoting from. Now catch this. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Isaiah's seen this about halfway in between the time of, that we're reading Moses and then the time that Jesus would come. He says, the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped and the lame will leap like a deer and the tongues of the mute will shout for joy. Waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water and the haunt of jackals its resting place. Grass becomes reeds and rushes. What's happening? Jesus then would claim to be the water. Of course he is. He's the water of life. He told the woman at the well that. And he says it again in John 7. Uh, water, water, water. I'm the water. I'm the, I'm the one who... Well, I'm the one who shows wonders, and the deaf are hearing, and the, the blind are seeing, and the lame are leaping, and we see that in John chapter 5 as well, don't we? The man gets there, he's been in a state for 38 years, and Jesus says, rise, take up your pallet and walk, and he jumped up, he, the lame were leaping. All this was being fulfilled in Christ. Now, what's interesting, in verse 8, it says, a highway will be there, a roadway, be called a highway of holiness. This is what happens on your journey. You're crawling onto what? A highway of what? Holiness, not of just savedness. It's a highway of holiness, Kadash. You're climbing onto a road that is a roadway for the holy. Yes, God makes you holy in the blood, but you are also participating. You're consecrating yourselves as well. You're playing a role in this. The unclean will not travel on it. It will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there. No, no vicious beast will go up on it. These will not be found there. Now, now catch this. But who's walking on it? The redeemed. What does that mean? People who've been bought back, purchased. What was the price? Blood. Again, this is what Jesus this is. He's saying, this is me. This is who's going to walk on this road. Holy people, no vicious beast will be there. That doesn't mean we're not going to have problems in this life. Jesus was very clear. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. This is not about a perfect life, but in a spiritual sense, you're untouchable. Let me say that again. In a spiritual sense, in the unseen, you are untouchable. The holy people, it's the highway of holiness. And only the redeemed walk there, the, the blood-covered holy people, the cleaned-up, blood-covered holy people. The ransomed of the Lord will return, come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Now, just some of you need to breathe that in. 
Even if I know some, and some of you in here are struggling with cancer, some of you online may be struggling with some things that are just incomprehensible, but I'm telling you in the spiritual realm, you're untouchable, and in a spiritual sense, sighing will flee away. Sorrow will flee away. There will be a shout in the morning. Whether God takes you tomorrow or whether we have a, you have another 50 years on this planet, I'll tell you right now, you are untouchable and safe on this highway. Your physical body will die at some point unless Jesus comes back. But your soul, your cleaned up, crossing, blood-covered, scarlet-thread-covered soul is good. It's fair to sing, it is well with my soul. What if we change that and said, it is well with my body? Some people just turn their head and walk out the back of the door and say, well, it's not well with my body, but is it well with your soul? That's infinitely more important than momentary affliction in your body. Can you sense that? It's infinitely more important. That's why Jesus was, yes, he was willing to show wonders. Yes, he was willing to heal the sick, but he was much, much more concerned about their soul. You know, when we look at the apostles and the disciples, they were clean crossers. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. He's talking about the disciples. God also testifying with them both by what? Signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. So when Jesus said, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you, speaking to his disciples, these were then clean crossers, kadash, they were holy. And that's why Peter was able to say, you're part of a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And as they crossed, well, what happened? They saw signs and wonders. Now, this is a huge debate, and I'm not going to get into it. And, and I've, I've always kind of taken middle ground on this. I'm not a secessionist, meaning no miracles or signs happen anymore. That was only for the apostles in the first era of the church. Some of you may have come from a theological background like that. Some then are on the flip side, on the all the other way. And Mark would seem to intimate that that would happen when he says uh, in Mark 16, verse 17 and 18, these signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it won't hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, I believe that. So we're not a church that says God doesn't heal anymore. And those were only signs to uh, kind of affirm the apostles and to get the gospel going going and now we're done with those. We're not in that camp, but I have to admit what I see in my experience, and maybe it's just me, what I see is that sometimes we lay hands on people and they don't get well. Sometimes we lay hands on people and they do get well. So it's not exactly like the apostles, but I'm not, I'm not near ready to go, well, we're not going to see any wonders anymore. And wonders go way beyond just seeing people healed. Wonders are that moment when God speaks to you, as we'll see in Jericho, when he speaks to you and you listen and you act on it and you see the supernatural unfold. That is also dreams and visions and pictures of glorious things where God, you know that God's engaging with you. He tells you to do something or, or you have somebody on your heart that you hadn't thought of in five years and then, and then you begin to pray for them and all of a sudden the phone rings and they call you. Those are still wondrous things. Uh, let's not relegate wonders and signs just to somebody being healed. The, the wondrous picture of clean crossers is that you will see wonders. Do you believe it? 
See, all your Jerichos have to come down through God's action. Look, I, in, in the early stages, I was always trying to hmm, protect people from anything bad, especially new believers. I was like, okay, we got we to gotta protect them. And I do. I mean, I care, I care about that as a shepherd and sheep and all that. But there are some times when you have to allow them to undergo some stress, some wilderness work in their lives so they can see that it's God coming to their aid. And they have that in their arsenal so that they can begin to say, okay, God provides for me. God never leaves me or forsakes me. God is there. It happens over and over, whether I hire, hire a regional guy or for links or somebody on staff or anybody. I like sometimes when you, uh, you get newer believers, and usually I won't hire staff that haven't gone all the way through the wilderness, but you get the point is that you want, you want to see them, you want to see them engage and you want to see them grow and you want to see them begin to say, God provided for me, not, oh, Jeff came to my rescue and he, he pulled all the strings and got everything that I needed. They need that experience. They need to see the wonders for themselves. Remember, battles are still fought in the wilderness. They had some battles. They had already seen some wonders in the wilderness. Clean crossers are going to see wonders. Consecrate yourself. Kadesh yourself. Be holy. Cross over. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you my hand. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you, some of you may be here or watching online or whatever and just go, you know what, I don't know all this religious stuff and one's the same as the other and experience is so subjective and all that. I mean, I get that. Until you experience it. And it happens over and over and over. And then over time, you began to develop actually some trust that God's actually going to show up. And you don't freak out. But at the beginning, you're just like, ah. And then little by little, you, you I know God showed up then. He's going to do it again. God showed, those are the memorial stones. Remember we talked about as they crossed? Make sure and build that memorial on the other side so you remember all the things that God has done. Some of you need to think back right now. I want you to stop just for a minute. Some of you are going through some great crisis right now. The Jericho stands right in front of you. You are in your journey on the plains of Jericho. It's tightly shut. You're thinking, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen here? And you need to go back and think and turn around and look at all these memorial stones. Yeah, but remember when God did that and remember when God did that and remember and your faith will begin to just be bolstered. That's what this lesson is teaching us. That's why we, we are still, we're close. In fact, we're going to meet, the pastor's going to meet this week. We've done some testimonies of many of you that we've done in the studio. We, our vision was always to be playing these testimonies each week. We're just trying to get Get this all situated. But there's, your testimonies are so powerful. It's just when God showed up, wherever you are in your journey. You're, you're, it's, it's amazing. And so when we share this, you're going, oh, wow, if he did it for him, he's going to do it for me. If he did it for her, he'll do it for me. If he, if he, you know, and you're going to start to see wonders. Now, here's the thing. In God's way, and here's the hard part, in God's time. That's the challenge. In God's timing. Well, what... Of course, the question then happens, well, what if, you know, what if God doesn't show up? Well, God always shows up. He may not give the answer that you're seeking. That happens sometimes. Well, okay, now this, this all goes out the window because he, he answers and you say it's God. He doesn't answer and it's, he says it's God. You say it's God. I mean, you Christians, I mean, you're just unbelievable. doesn't matter what happens. I mean, you're going to talk yourself into believing into this, you know, as Dawkins said, or, uh, or whoever it was, yeah, the spaghetti monster in the sky. 
right? You're gonna, you, you guys will believe in anything because it doesn't matter what happens in your life until you experience it. I've experienced some no's in my life where the walls didn't seem to come down and it was only with the luxury of retrospect that I'm thinking, wow, I'm glad that, that he didn't give me what I was asking for there. Have any of you had that experience where maybe you were asking for something 15, 20 years ago and you look back and go, I am so thankful that he didn't give me what I wanted. If you like church at the red door and you're enjoying this and you're growing in your spiritual life and developing spiritual community here, and if you like that, then you need to be thankful that God didn't give me what I asked for 20, 25 years ago. Lord, I want to be playing the tour because if I get on tour, I'll, I'll be sharing Christ with you and I'll, I'll, do, I'll do all this thing in your, in your name. One shot, Miss Q School. Second stage, one shot. Miss a cut by one shot, one shot. Ah, oh, Lord, I've been asking you for this for so long. When are these walls, this Jericho going to come down? And I look back and go, well, they never did. And thank God they didn't. For me, what a privilege it is to serve you as a, as a servant leader in this church. What a privilege it is that I'm here, that I've had an opportunity to be engaged in some of your lives and the privilege to be able to unpack the word for you. I'm so thankful. That was what, in my mind, were the walls of Jericho did not come down on my PJ Tour career. Now I look back and I go, that wasn't even a battle I was called to fight. He was taking me over to here to a much bigger city with much stronger walls where many more people could be released than maybe a few people hear me win a tournament and say, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that would have been powerful. And I'm not saying I couldn't have done other things in addition to that with that platform. I don't know what that life would have looked like. I don't know. But I do know that those walls did not come down. And as a result, it forced me into another little tributary of this river called the kingdom flow. And I'm so grateful, only in retrospect. And there's parts of me still that would have liked to have seen that those walls come down. But you know what? I have not one regret. Let's close with this, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. See, I, there, I just, I could go so many different directions. Even, there's so many things I want to unpack, and even in Exodus 4, that I, I just will not. Uh, but verse, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Let's think about this. Or actually, start, let's start in 14. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. It says, as obedient children, so you're, you're children of God because of the blood, right? You're, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Now, don't, that lust is kind of an almost archaic sounding word. Just your passions, where you had your heart set that were, you know, you just couldn't live without it. Don't, don't set your heart on those things that used to be so consumed with but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in what? All your behavior. Stop for a second. If you want to kadash yourself, not Kardashian yourself, kadash yourself. If you want to kadash yourself, if you want to separate yourself, you can't just be conformed to your normal way of doing business that you had pre Jesus. You just can't. It's clear. Now, he had told Moses this 
as well. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, and kind of forward, he, he gave Moses Levitical law, be holy as I am holy. Kadesh yourselves, make yourself holy. This is a highway of holiness that we're walking on. And you, you do understand this is, this is the blood-covered, cleaned-up people who are walking on this journey. And then Peter turns around again, having to reinforce this over and over. If he was having to reinforce this this early in the church, you don't think it's still for us? Folks, pursue holiness. And then, and then verse uh, 16 here says, Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, he goes all the way back and quotes Leviticus 11.44. Peter's saying, look, it's never changed. See, this is the biggest misconception. In closing, this is the big, biggest misconception about Christianity. True. Evangelical Christianity, a lot of people say, well, you guys just have faith. And, you know, we think it's more about what you do, not just about faith. It involves faith, but it's more about what you do. I get that all the time. I get that all the time. And it's a good question. And they'll quote, faith without works is dead. All that's true. All that's true. But you've got to understand that the pursuit of holiness is never separate from your faith. There's no way your faith will not animate the way you live. There is, it's impossible. We, somehow in the West, I don't know, we just perceive that we can believe into Jesus and not have, care anything about what he said. I'm a Christian. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, remember when Jesus said this? Oh, well, I don't read the Bible. I'm not into that. You know, we, we're, we're just, we just don't read the Bible. We're not, we're not that interested in it. In fact, uh, I've never really, I don't even know if I own a Bible. But I'm Christian. Now, that's just weird because you're saying, what you're saying is that what do you believe about Jesus? There's a lot of people that believe Jesus, parts of it. The idea of Jesus being a kind of a, but to believe into Jesus always and without exception will lead to a holy life. A journey with Jesus is one that's leading into increased purity. Cannot be otherwise. I'm not saying you're perfect. I'd have to just crawl right down here and sit down here and have somebody else come up here for a while. I am not anywhere close to perfect. But when I get up in the morning, I, I, I read 1 Peter 1.16, Be holy, for I am holy. And I go, yes, Lord, that's my desire. Do you even have a desire to to reach into holiness and purity and be like Jesus, be conformed to his image. If it is, you're on the right track. You're on that highway of holiness. The redeemed and the ransomed are walking there. You get it. Okay? Does that make sense? And then next week, I promise, I will not have a supplement. I will not have anything. We're going into Jericho. We, we're going to see what happened with that scarlet thread. We're going to watch we're going to watch this unfold, and we're going to learn some very profound lessons about how, in the unseen realm, the walls of Jericho come down, and it's radically different than you would normally think. The way you ran your business, probably not the way. The way you normally do things, you just press and manipulate and go and work harder and do all these kind of things, it's going to be different. We can learn some extraordinary stories from Jericho, and let's all the way, let's see if that red scarlet thread paid off or not. That's what we'll look at next week. Pastor Paul, would you come and close this, please?